All right, all right. So good to hear all of you just loving on each other. It's so good. That's when you know you're in a good church, when people actually like each other. As we remain standing in reverence to the Word of God, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 through 7. This word has been in my heart for about a month or maybe more, I believe. And today I felt the Lord in my heart say, release it now. We're going to preach this this morning. 2 Kings chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order. Can we all repeat that phrase? Put your house in order. One more time. Put your house in order. Because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with my whole heart in devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. But Isaiah had left the middle court. The word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. And on the third day from now, you will go up to my temple, the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for the sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare. And I want to stop right there. I'll just stop right there. Put your house in order. That phrase stuck with me for an entire month. So I want to preach this morning on that very subject. How to put your house back in order. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. It's been in my heart for so long. May it teach us, convict us, and change us to the people you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me this morning to preach your word. Your word that brings life to us. So I pray that you would bless us, Lord, with your presence. In the name of Jesus. And all God's church said, Amen. 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 You guys can have a seat as we go into this word on how to get your house <clears throat> in order. How to get your house in order. It happens to all of us. Try and guess what I'm talking about. It happens to all of us. 
Some of you here in the room, it's happening to you right now. Some of you in the room here today, in this church, think it will never happen to you. Some of you are sad right now that it's happening to you. Can you guess what it is, church? You're getting older. You're getting older. Well, how do you know I'm getting older? Well, I can just see some of you and say you're getting older. And I can see you getting older because I have my glasses on that I had to wear now because I'm getting older. You might be able to tell because your hair might be a little bit grayer. Maybe some of you can relate, but it happened overnight. You woke up and your vision was blurry. Some of you have your, the sparkle in your eye, but the sparkle in your eye is just the bifocals of your glasses hitting the lights. You know you're older when now you get around other older people and you complain about what hurts you. My back, my knee, my hip. And the conversation goes from what hurts you to how bad this generation is. And if you use the word in my time, you're getting older. Your skin doesn't hold so tight anymore. You've gone from a grape to a raisin. Little wrinkles. When you get up from the couch, you call for help. You make noises. Can I get a witness? You look forward to naps. You take them often. You either forget or lie about your age. You start sounding like your parents. TV programs you used to watch on primetime are now at Nick at Night or in the Turner Classic Movie. Becomes a classic. My personal favorite. The pharmacist knows you by name. You know that all of us, if we're lucky, we'll get old. Time will fly. You young people here in this room, listen, I was once like you as well. When I looked at my parents, I said, I will never be like that. And now I put Icy Hot on daily. Believe me when I tell you, church. There comes a point in your life, you know, you're going downhill. And downhill only ends up six feet under the ground. We know we're getting older and there's no argument that also all of us in this church, all of you listening online, we're all going to die. Amen? We're all going to die. 
The question is how and when, but not if we're going to die. We're all going to die. What would change in your life if like Hezekiah, God will tell you you're going to die today and you're not going to recover. There's no doctor that can save you. No medicine that can cure you. No method that will help you. You are going to die today. If you would hear the words, you are going to die today, I can guarantee that half of the things you're worried about, you will not even worry about any longer. And half of the things you waste your time on, you will not waste your time on. If you knew you were going to die, you would quickly reevaluate your life and everything would change. And this is exactly what happens to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly man, a great king and leader. And God prepared him for death and told him through Isaiah the prophet, you are going to die. And as a response, Hezekiah he faced the wall, the Bible says, and prayed. Now, what does it mean to face the wall in the Jewish culture? It was very common. Even today, if you go to Israel and Jerusalem in the temple in the Western Wall, you would see men and women. And I've been there myself. We face the wall and we pray. We're not praying to the wall. So what does it mean to face the wall and pray? When you would face the wall and pray, it was a symbolism of telling God, I am in with you right now. Nothing else matters. I'm not distracted by anything else. My back is turned towards everything and everyone and the world. And I'm facing you, God. It's in private. So when you face the wall, it was like saying, God, you have my undivided attention. Did you know? That if you knew without a doubt you would die today, God would have your undivided attention. The things that grab your attention today, the job, the school, the money, the busyness, the laundry, the kid, none of that would distract you like it does now. God will have your undivided attention. You would not care about your TV programs you have to record. You would not care about deadlines and appointments. You would not care about bills. You would not care about any of that. If you knew you were facing death, God would have your undivided attention. And church, my question this morning is why does God not have your undivided attention right now? Why are we plagued with such distractions and filth and things that don't even matter. He faced the wall to tell God nothing matters now but you, Lord. And he prayed. And then he said something that I believe today a lot of people in the church cannot say. He said, Lord, in verse 2, he turned his face to the wall. And he prayed 
to the Lord. And in verse 3, he says, Remember, Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully, wholeheartedly with devotion, and done what is good in your eyes. Hezekiah told God, Remember how faithful I was to you. Remember, Lord, how I served and walked with you. Remember, Lord, that I obeyed you. When it's time to die, what will the Lord remember about you? Could you pray the same prayer, church? Could you tell the Lord right now, I serve you faithfully. I walk with you wholeheartedly. I am devoted to you, Lord. I do what is right in your eyes and not what's right in my eyes or the eyes of the world. Could you tell God face to face, remember, Lord, how I serve you. For the majority of the people today in America and the churches, they would say, I can't say that to the Lord. What will the Lord remember about you? Will He remember your faithfulness? Will He remember your wholehearted devotion to His Word and obedience? Or will the Lord remember your divided heart for Him and the world? Will the Lord remember your excuses and why you couldn't be devoted to His Word that morning and why you couldn't come to church and why you couldn't worship? Will the Lord remember every excuse you placed why you couldn't serve Him wholeheartedly? Will the Lord remember your lack of devotion to Him? Will the Lord remember what took priority over Him? Will He remember the job that was first? Will He remember the hobby that came first? Will He remember everything that was first before Him? Will the Lord remember your sin, your immorality, the flesh you gave into constantly? What will the Lord remember about you? Because when I read this a month ago, I was brought to my knees in conviction and I said, Lord, I pray that you would remember my faithfulness. That you would remember my devotion, though not perfect, Lord. Remember that I love you. But I wonder how many people in our church can say that today to the very face of God. Remember, Lord. God would answer His prayer in mercy and would bless Him for 15 years more of life. Fifteen more years of life. He didn't just heal him. He said, Hezekiah, I'm going to answer your prayer and I'm going to bless you by letting you know I am gifting you the borrowed time of 15 years. The 15 years was not 
just for him to enjoy his life. The 15 years that God blessed him with him with, it wasn't just for a bucket list to cross off lists. Oh, now I have time to do this, and now we can take the trip, honey, we've always wanted, and now we can try skydiving, and now we can buy this and get the boat, and, and because we have 15 more years. It was not about 15 more years of pleasure and luxury. God said, I am blessing you with 15 more years to get your house in order. To get your house in order. That word order in the Hebrew literally means to get in line with. He was blessing Hezekiah with 15 years to get his household in line. To secure his kingdom. To secure his kingdom from the enemy. To raise his children. To assure that they knew God and would love the God that he served. God would bless him for 15 years so that his family would get right with God and make sure that his house would be in order when it was time for him to go. God was blessing him with the peace of knowing that when Hezekiah died, he had 15 years to do better things, to make right decisions, to prioritize God in his house so that when his time was up, he was able to look at his household and say, my house is in order. My children love God. My marriage honors the Lord. My home is in order. God blessed them with 15 more years so that when he would have his time run up, he would have the peace of knowing my home is in order. That's what mattered to God. That's what should matter to us. That when you go and when you die, you're able to look at your household and feel the peace and the security of knowing your home is in order and in line with God. But so many people today do not have that peace. Do not have that security. Life is not about having a home that's in order. In fact, today the home is in disorder. Amen? And we look at the family today and the modern family as we call it, and it's not in line with God anymore. And in the home, divorce is at an all-time high, even amongst Christians, nearing 60%. And in the home, there are children, after 18, 67% of children want nothing to do with God or nothing to do with the church. It's in the home that strife and fighting and bickering and envy and jealousy is ruling, but not God. It's in the home that it is divided and broken and more and more people are building broken homes than godly ones. Church, there is something wrong in the church when so many people at home are living lives of disorder, not in line with God, not in line with the Word of God. 
And God wants to bless you this morning with how to have a house that's in order, how to get a house that's in line with God. Because what matters most when you die is knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And after that is assuring that your home knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because you have children that will die someday and stand in judgment. You have a spouse that will stand one day in judgment with God. And God has placed you in their lives to teach them the way. And the blessing that God gave Hezekiah was 15 more years, Hezekiah, to get your house in line. It matters. Because when you die, your money won't matter. Your education won't matter. Your degrees, your career, your possessions, none of that will matter. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said clearly, He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed is all about me and my life, what I want. More, 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 more money, more houses, more vacation, more pleasure, more clothes, more shoes, more this, more that. He says, watch out for greed. Do we not live in one of the most greedy times ever where it's all about me? Jesus said, watch out for greed. A man's life, a man's precious Life does not consist in the abundance of his, say it with me, possessions. Life is not about things. What things you can wear. What things you can buy. What places you can go to. What can you accomplish. Life does not consist of things. So why would you put things before an almighty God? Life does not consist of things. Get your life and the house in order. As a pastor, it amazes me in many, many occasions I've had the experience of standing by someone's deathbed. Sometimes family members of my own. Sometimes children I did not even know, but the mom told me, would you visit my son who's filled with cancer now? Sometimes it was complete strangers and said, would you go and talk to them about Jesus? But I have sat at the bedside of death with people. When that time is running out, And that heartbeat is getting closer. And the vitals are getting weaker. It always amazes me who's at the bedside. Your family. Maybe a spouse. Kids. Really good, close friend, brother, sister. 
and you're on your deathbed, most likely it will be your family, me, your pastor, and for sure, Jesus. And your family will sit there. And maybe God's going to give you the grace to look at them one last time. So I want you to imagine this with me. You're on your deathbed. I'm there with you. Who else is with you? Do you see them? Husband, wife, children, brothers, sisters. And as you look at them on your bedside, ask yourself this question. Was my house in order? As you look at your spouse, will you be able to say, I lived as a godly spouse. I loved and respected and honored my wife, my husband. And as you glance over to your kids, will you look at them and say, Lord, I know I've taught my kids well. I know my house is in order with my children. I know they love you. I know they fear you. I know they know the Word of God because they saw it living through me. Will you look at your brothers and sisters and say there's order there? Or will all you see is strife, bickering, talks about money and problems and you did this and you said that and fighting back and forth and division. What will you see, church, on your bedside? Will you see a household? That's an order. Or will you see a household that is completely in disorder? Will your household be one of peace with God? Or will your household be one of division and brokenness and anger and bitterness and resentment and greed and jealousy? There is nothing like having a household in order. Having a household that honors God. The greatest gift you can give your children is not a house when you die. It's not a pension. It's not retirement. It's not money. It's not any of that. The greatest gift you can ever give your child is Jesus Christ and the example of living for Him. Is your house in order? Well, why is the house in disorder? Let's answer that, can we, church? The house is in disorder because we've gotten it completely wrong in the church. And I'm blaming the church. I'm blaming myself. I'm blaming pastors everywhere. We have got it wrong. We have been lied to, church. But can we know the truth that will set you free this morning? The church has it wrong. 
we're taught what's called top-to-bottom priorities. And we were taught it's God, then family, then what? Church. And no one's going to argue God is first. Amen? So let me tell you where we're wrong. Family and church. Why are we wrong with that? Well, it's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus never said family, then church. Never. Try and find it. Doesn't exist. If that were the truth, that the order was family, then church, it would create such a disorder in your life that God would never even lead you to believe such a lie. Let me give you an example. If, hypothetically speaking, God said, family, then church, that's the order for order. Then you would say one day, well, God, I've been working all week. I have not spent time with my kids. And today, this Sunday, is the only day I have off. And Lord, your word says family, then church. So I'm not going to church this morning. I'm going to take my family to the beach. And will God look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Ah, but it's family and church. And then you say, well, Lord, I know I should tithe and give to the church, but times are tough and little Susie needs new shoes for school and Books and everything's expensive, so Lord, family first, then the church. So my money's going to my family. And God, on Wednesday night, the night of Bible study, I know it's important to read the Bible and fellowship with my fellow brothers and sisters of Forward Fellowship Church. I know, Lord, but Wednesday is the only night I have with my spouse to relax and watch a movie and it's date night and God, it's family and church. So I'm not going to Bible study anymore. Will God have it in Him to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. How many say yes? Of course, you're smarter than that. It's not family than church. The proof is even in the New Testament, when Jesus calls Peter to ministry. Peter walked with Jesus. And he learned from Jesus to ultimately start the church. But nowhere in that timeline when Jesus and Peter were in a relationship and walking and learning and growing and in ministry, did Jesus ever tell Peter, listen, Peter, you're in ministry now. It's all about the church. So you have to leave your wife and kids. Peter was married with children. 
And Jesus never said, leave your family behind. That's it. Forget about them. You're all about church now. Peter did everything together. Jesus, in the New Testament, the Bible says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. The love was the same. Nowhere in the Bible is there a top-to-bottom order of family than church. That's why we're all in disorder. Because we put everything above church. So what is it, Pastor? What's the order? It's not an order of categories. Stop saying that lie. It's God family church. God family church. That is going to create the biggest disorder of your life. What is the order? Matthew 22, 37-39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus shocks everyone with a second one. They never asked for a second one, but Jesus gave it to them anyway. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus was teaching here? When you love God first, naturally what comes out of that is a love for family and a love for church. The three work together as one. It's not a category, church. It's a pattern. It's not an order of category, church. It's a pattern of lifestyle. You love God first, above all things, with all your heart. Not some of it, not half of it, not a quarter of it. With all of your heart. The word heart literally means the center of your life. When God is the center of your life, everything else will follow and line up in order. The reason we have disorder in the family and disorder in the church today is because we no longer have God as the center of our lives. We don't love God with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. We just tolerate it. God said clearly, when you love me first, you're going to naturally love others and love the church. Why the church? Because the church is not a building. The church is people. We're a church not because we're in these walls, because I can go to a park and hang a sheet over a tree, and if all of us gather there, we're a church. Church is people. And if there's all this disorder in the family and in the church, it's because God is no longer first. God takes second or third place over family. Church gets the back seat over job, over tired, busy, stressed. 
That's why there's so much disorder. Because it's a pattern, not a category. Church, do you have a pattern in your life, in your household, of God first? I was telling Jericho this morning, what a blessing to have grown up in a Christian home. Some of you have that privilege. Some of you haven't. One of the best and greatest blessings is growing up in a Christian home where love for God first was a pattern, not a category. It wasn't, we're going to love God unless there's a birthday party on the weekend, unless the beach sounds really good right now, kids. We're going to love God first unless dad is tired from work. We're going to love God first if we have time. Loving God first was a pattern in our household, not a category. And because it was a pattern that we saw growing up, we grew up now today as adults with that pattern in our households. It was a pattern to see mom and dad love each other. It was a pattern to see them respect each other. It was a pattern, not a category. And church was something we live, not somewhere we went. And back in my day, I'm telling you, no, it's not a How many of you grew up in the Sunday night church era? You can't even do that now. If I would say from now on, guys, I'm so excited, we're going to have service on Sunday night too, I would have to dodge Bibles and books and things falling thrown at me. Because you would say, what about football? What about this? What about that? See, I grew up in an era of Wednesday night church, Friday night choir practice, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and if the church needed your help, we were there to serve. Can I get a witness this morning? How many you grew up in that era? I used to love, get this, I used to love Sundays. Never ask my parents, we're going to church today? What do you think? I love Sundays. I woke up, got dressed, we went to Sunday school, went to church, went out to lunch at my grandparents' house, laid down for the best, holiest nap of your life, Sunday night naps. Get used to it, church. It will bless you. Wake up just in time for Baywatch. That's how I remember it. Watch my favorite show, Baywatch. Then as soon as it was over, like clockwork, mom would come into our room and say, get ready for church. Put on the same itchy clothes. Went to church on Sunday night. And after church was over, it was 39 cents cheeseburgers at McDonald's. Remember those days? And it was a feast. And I said, man, I love Sundays. 
church was something you loved. There was a pattern. I never saw mom and dad talking bad about the pastor at home. Hi, can you believe the pastor said the pastor? I can't believe that. I never heard mom and dad gossiping on other church members in front of us. Because they wanted to model a pattern that church and family is to be respected and honored. We are a church. We are family. We are to respect and love and honor one another. Do I want to kill you sometimes? Yes. But what family doesn't? It's a pattern. So on your deathbed, when you look at your family and your church family and say, I have order. Because Lord, remember how I loved you. How I served you. Hezekiah shocks me though. Because the Bible says in verse 12 through 13 and 16 and 19, let's read it there in a second. At that time, I'm not even going to pronounce that name. The son of that other king from Babylon. That's what I'm going to remember. The king of Babylon sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he heard Hezekiah's illness about Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messenger and showed them all that was in the storehouse. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, the armory, everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom, that Hezekiah did not show him. Look at verse 16 with me. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. You know what God tells him? Hold that verse, Maria. You know what he tells him here? That very person that's in your house right now is your enemy. And one day that man that's in your house that you're showing everything to and welcoming with open arms is going to destroy your house. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. God even warns him. Look at the next verse. And some of your descendants, that's your family, your own flesh and blood, your children, is that what that means? They will be born to you, will be taken away. Your own children are going to be lost and taken away. And they will become eunuchs, slaves, in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, he says. What? Oh, that's good. What do you mean that's good? I just finished telling you that this man that's in your household is going to destroy your house. He's going to take your children. He's going to ruin everything. I'm warning you to get him out. And he said, no, that's good. Why? Hezekiah replied. For he thought, well, will there not be peace and security at least in my lifetime? Hezekiah 
God blessed Hezekiah with 15 years to get his household in order. But Hezekiah became so self-centered that he said, you know what? I just want peace in my house. So I'm going to let the enemy in. I'm going to show him everything. I'm going to be friends with him. And Hezekiah was warned, his enemy is going to take your family and your children away. You've got to do something. And Hezekiah said, no, nah, it's okay. You know what? At least it'll be, I'll have peace in my life. He didn't care that his household would be divided, broken, and out of order. As long as he had peace. That might shock you like it did me. Because Hezekiah compromised. He let the enemy in his house. And said, look, look at everything. This is the room. This is this. This is where we keep this. This is our weaponry. This is every other. There's the children. There's my kids. There's my wife. Look, come here. Come here, enemy. Look. And he showed him his whole house. Does that not seem crazy to you, church? But Hezekiah was more concerned about peace than order. Listen, God said, I'm going to give you 15 years to put your house in order. But Hezekiah was more concerned about peace than order. Don't be shocked by it. Because you probably do the same. Compromise. Thought you would just have peace. Would you care for some examples? Parents let their kids date non-believers. They know it's dangerous. They know it's they can lead them the wrong way. They know it's wrong, but they want peace. They don't want to fight with their kids. They don't want to be on top of their kids. They don't want to tell them she's not the one. He's not the one. He's not a believer. She's not. She's a harlot. Come on, stop. Get away. There's so much strife in telling your kids how to date. And there's so much peace in letting them date whoever they want. They won't fight you. So you do nothing because you want peace. You let them have the wrong friends, but you're not going to fight them on that because you want peace. So you're not going to sit with them and say, you're not allowed to be with such and such person. I'm going to forbid you from going out with them. You're not going to fight with them. You're not going to check who their friends are. Why? Because you want peace. If you want peace in your home, let your kids do whatever they want. I promise you, they will never argue with you. Compromise. Let them be who they want to be with. Date who they want to date. Watch what they want to watch. Do what they want to do. Give them freedom. And with that freedom, I promise you, church, you will have peace with your children. But I also promise you, you will have a lot of disorder. Compromise. I promise you, church, you can have peace in your marriage. Let your husband do what he wants. Let your wife, whatever. Don't be in their business. Let your wife get the credit card and do what she wants. 
Have peace, guys. Letters of shopping. Send her. Go ahead. Go, honey, here's a credit card. Go, go on Amazon. Get whatever you want. Go to the stores. Go to the mall. Do any. Here's. A, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to check the bank statements. I'm not going to look at receipts because I want peace. I promise you, men, you want peace? Let her do what she wants. Because you don't have time to talk to her about the fundamentals of budget. You don't have time to tell her, why can't we just save money? We don't need this. You don't, have, you don't want the fight. You don't want the stress. If you want peace with your husband, let him get away with anything. Lighten up a little, ladies. Let him go fishing all day and not come back. I promise you'll come home happy. He'll never fight with you. Let him just be who he wants to be. Let him wear a silly leather jacket and dye his hair a weird black color and look younger again. Let him. Let him disrespect you. Let him talk to you the way he's been. Let him be unkind. And I promise you, you'll have peace. Just compromise a little. You want peace with the world. You want peace with the devil? How about that one? You want the devil to live you alone? Let's live for him. You want your life to get easier? Just compromise and say, devil, I'm yours. You want the world to accept you? Compromise. Do what they do. Talk how they talk. Watch what they watch. Listen to what they listen to. Have all your ungodly friends. Drink with them. Smoke with them. Do everything with them. I promise you, the world will have peace with you. Now, do you want peace or do you want order? Because if you want peace, you need to have war. You need to declare war on your children. And say, I will fight you till the end as long as I know you're serving God. You want order in your marriage? Tell your husband, you did not marry just a wife. You married a soldier. I will fight you. I will not let you speak to me that way. I will not let you treat the kids that way. I will stand up and fight you for this marriage. But people don't want confrontation anymore. We want peace. Your choice. Hezekiah made his choice. I want peace, not order. So I'm going to let the enemy in. Church, I want you to picture this as we close. Every time you compromise on the word of God, you are letting the devil into your household. And notice what Hezekiah showed him, the treasure. Look at my treasure. You don't think the king of Babylon looked at everything and said, oh man, this will be mine. And in the Bible, treasure is listed in two things. Your wife and your children. What if the devil walks up to your house and he sees your wife and kids and says, I want them. Are you going to sit there, men, and say, go ahead, here, there she is? But every time you compromise, you are telling the enemy, come on in. Have my children. Have my household. Because I want peace. 
So I'm not going to check on my kids anymore. I'm going to let them do what they want. I'm going to just, I just don't care anymore. Have you ever just stopped caring that you say, do what you want? That's what the devil wants. Hezekiah chose peace over order. Because he did not want the conflict. And in his life, he had peace. But one day Babylon came and destroyed his house. Took his wife and children captive. Destroyed the people of Israel for 70 years. Because of one man's decision to say, I want peace over order. When God had blessed him with 15 years to get his house back in. You received this word today, church. Because maybe you look at your house right now and you're saying, Pastor, my house is complete disorder. And I put God in a category, not a pattern. My kids didn't see me growing up to love God first. I was a bad example. I'm divorced. I'm separate. I'm going to listen to me. You still have hope because you still have Jesus. You may not have been the perfect pattern of a Christian man or woman, but let me tell you now, the Bible says, if you confess your sins to the Lord, He is faithful and just and will forgive you. And you can say right now this morning, Lord, my house is in disorder. And I have compromised. And I've been wrong. But today, Lord, today, right now, I want to get in line with you. Put you first in my life. And declare war on that death that you've been cozy with at home. That you will not have my treasure. And God blessed Hezekiah with time to get his house in order. What I love about this church is you still have time to get your house in order. But it starts with you. That's why I love Joshua 24, 15. Joshua is getting ready to go to the promised land. And he's around all the people. Some of these people are his friends, his family, and even his enemies. Because he knew he was about to go to the promised land. He was about to go into battle. He was going to fight the Ammonites. He was going to fight the Hittites. He was going to fight all the ice, all the enemies. And he, before he even went out, he said this, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers, I love that because maybe you have forefathers, relatives, mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, maybe they didn't serve God, but he says today you can serve God. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, are you going to be with the world or not in the land you're living? But I love what he says here. He declared war and says, but as for me and my what? My household. He didn't just say, as for me, 
because he wasn't like Hezekiah. He wasn't selfish. He knew he had a household. And he said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And what I love about this passage is Hezekiah right after didn't say, is that okay, kids? Kids, can I say that? You're going to serve, Papa, you're going to serve Lord? You're, no, you're not? You don't want to? All right, never mind. He doesn't want to. Bobby doesn't want to. What about you, Mommy? You're going to serve God? You're going to, no? No? Okay, never mind. Just me. Just me, guys. Sorry, kidding. <laughs> no. He made the choice for their kids. Maybe the kids, I don't want to, he says. Yeah. But you will. But you will. Because you're in my house. And we're going to serve the Lord. I imagine Joshua laughing. <laughs> you thought I was asking? No. You're going to serve the Lord. And Hezekiah knew this meant war. That he was going to fight all the enemy. But he also knew he had a household. Let's all stand to our feet. As you read James 3.16 together, last verse of this message. Where you have envy and selfishness and selfish ambition, there you find what? Disorder. And every evil practice. Where does disorder ultimately come from? It's evil, but it comes from selfishness. Selfish ambition. Hezekiah said, it's all about me. As long as I have peace in my life, as long as I'm okay, I don't care about my household. And if you want to save your household, stop being so selfish. Amen? Let's all pray today. Come on, pray with me today. Come to this altar this morning. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want order in my life. You will never have order in your life until you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of first of your life. And if you're here today and you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if your life is in disorder, no one better than Jesus himself can put everything back in line. He loves you and he's forgiven you of your sins. The Bible says he's died on the cross for you and for me. And if any man confess that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose, he will be saved. This is your opportunity like Joshua to say, I'm choosing to serve the Lord. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I'm a born again believer, but my house is in disorder. I've been envious. I've been selfish. I've been rude. I've been arrogant. I've been prideful. I've hurt my family. My household is in disorder. I put God in a category instead of a pattern. I have not patterned my life into putting God first. My household is a mess. It's not too late for you. It is not too late to put God first in your household. So I want to pray for each and every one of you here today. If you're here, join me in prayer in this altar today for giving this to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm going to serve you from now on. Come on. Maybe I'm talking to people that have messed up beyond what they imagine. Maybe your whole household is in disorder. Your marriage is a mess. Your children are lost. You're hopeless. You're angry. You don't know where to start, how to fix things. Start where you need to start. Start with Jesus. 
Make Him first in your life again. Fall in love with Him. And watch how everything else lines up. Let your household be a household of peace. Let your children see you and say, Mom and Dad, love God. If you're a single parent here like heaven is, you can love God and Roman can say, Papi, love God. Alizé and Avery can see Jay and Sebi say, they love God. Dad was a little crazy. Mom was a little loud. But boy, did they love church and God. And Anthony, I pray that your future wife will see your man that loves God. And that's what is most attractive about Anthony. Whoa! This man loves God. Nothing hotter than that. Ask Jericho. We all stand our hands out to God today. And if you mean this with your heart, just tell the Lord the truth. Lord, my house is disordered. Tell them where the disorder is. My house, my marriage, my children, my finances. Would you tell the Lord right now from your heart, I need you. I can't do this without you. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been selfish like Hezekiah. Forgive me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your gift on the cross, your son Jesus, who put a world of disorder back into order by giving us the hope of salvation. Father, I want to thank you for our church, our household. Father, we are a dysfunctional church family, but we're a church family. Thank you for the honor and the privilege of having a church, having family together. Father, I pray you would forgive us for any compromise in our lives, for letting the enemy into our house, in Jesus' name, our household is yours. Lord, put it back in order. Come on, church, pray that with me. Lord, put it back in order. In Jesus' name, you are first. Help us to pattern. We pray. And all God's church said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise. Do me a favor, church, to remind you guys that you are a church. Would you go around the room one last time and just hug the people around you and say, welcome to my church family. I'm glad we're family. Would you remind them they have a brother and a sister? Would you remind them that they're not alone in this? Would you remind them that God has brought you together to be a household?